Hello, everybody. This is Todd Underwood from SIFT, the voice of the food industry, and you're listening to Food Stories, the podcast, the show that highlights the industry that keeps 330 million people fed in the U.S. and tells the story of the innovative people, companies, and organizations that keep the food flowing to our stores and restaurants. It's a program for people in the industry, as well as those who have an interest in how our food products are made and delivered with the highest quality and safety in mind. We would like to thank our sponsors who make this show and our other programming possible. They are the Regional Growth Partnership, or the RGP Northwest Ohio, the Heath Newark Licking County Port Authority, Ag Credit, Jobs Ohio, and the Ohio MEP. You can learn more about these impactful organizations in the links shared in the show description. Now, let me tell you about today's program. So today we are happy to be joined by Taryn Wolf. She's the CEO of Matrix Food Technologies out of Dublin, Ohio. We're so happy to have her here. How are you doing today, Taryn? Doing well, Todd. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, super excited to have you here. Um, Taryn, why don't we just start with just telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey and, and how you ended up in, in Dublin, Ohio and, and working, being the leading Matrix Food Technologies. Yeah, sure. So um, I, you know, I guess I'll start with my journey and how I got here to Matrix. So um, I am was, I was born and raised in northeastern Ohio. So my whole family lives in and around Ohio. Um, and I um, left when I was a teenager. I ended up living in Europe for a few years. Was back and forth. I had been in New York, California. Um, living abroad again. I did some of my undergrad in Spain. I finished at Ohio University in Athens. Um, uh, from there, I went to Kenya, so had some really exciting wow. adventures and uh, started uh, my career in what's really like um, social environmental work and, and development in Kenya. Um, from there, I did my master's in international environmental policy and sustainable development and business in Monterey, California. Um, and it was there that I ended up going to Colombia. So I was working in Colombia on a project um, and I ended up going back to work and continue on that project. I was a Fulbright research scholar from there. I worked at a university. I worked with uh, the Ministry of Mines. I ended up starting a nonprofit. Um, and from that nonprofit, uh, I also spun out a couple of businesses. Um, one of the those businesses um, did a lot of work around data management for social and environmental impact. So really, we were focused on um, how do we use data uh, to maximize social, environmental, and financial value. So we worked a lot with nonprofits, government, but really focused on like banking and financial sector. Um, and so, you know, through this experience of really understanding like how impact happens both through uh, projects and through industry, um, I started talking to the former CEO of Matrix, um, and I remember, you know, he he contacted me, and uh, we started to have a conversation about the cultivated meat industry, and he said, "Hey." Taryn, there's, uh, you know, there's this company um, that we're going to start. We're doing scaffolds for the cultivated meat industry, and I think this is going to be huge. The impact of this industry is really important. Like, think about our food system and transforming our food system and what cultivated meat can do for that. Um, and so, as you know, lifelong um, vegan, vegetarian, really concerned about, uh, you know, food, health, and uh, animal welfare. I was really excited about this. So um, I already knew about cultivated meat, but really started diving into the industry um, and, you know, continued the conversation uh, with 
uh, Eric, our, our former CEO of, uh, at Matrix. And eventually uh, through both, you know, kind of uh, after, I think it was over a year, um, ended up in Columbus, Ohio um, and uh, starting at Matrix and now I am the CEO. So that's kind of how I ended up coming from Columbia to Columbus, um, but it's been a really easy transition. And I think, you know, the biggest part of that is this is a really exciting industry that's changing every day and there's tons of exciting things happening. Um, both what we're working on, uh, where we're working in the cultivated meat industry and at Matrix. Wow. Well, that's, you know, that's just a pretty straight, straight, you know, straight into the, no, I'm just joking. That's an awesome story. Wow. You bounced around a lot. So you would <laughs> probably, you would have not guessed you'd be where you were, you know, when you started out. And so that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, now you're at Matrix. Tell us a little bit about Matrix and its mission and its goals. Um, and, and if you don't mind, I, I, sure. I think I told you when we did our kind of uh, introductory meeting before this, my ignorance is my superpower. Keep in mind that, you know, maybe we don't know as much about um, the alternative protein market as maybe a scientist does. So, you know, talk to me like I'm a kid a little bit. Tell me about your goal and, and what you guys do. Sure. Well, I guess before I go into this, I should say it's not your ignorance that's your superpower. It's admitting it. And so <laughs> <laughs> tell that to my wife, um, please. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> Um, sure. So, you know, before I go into what we do at Matrix, maybe I'll just sure. uh, say a little bit about the cultivated meat industry and how cultivated meat yes. is made. Um, so cultivated meat is not vegan. It's not fake meat. It's not synthetic. It's real animal tissue that comes from an animal that's made in a bioreactor for humans to consume animal protein without having to kill an animal, right? Um, so cultivated meat has four core technologies. One is a bioreactor. So that kind of, if you think about it in terms of like, what is an animal and how are, how is meat made inside an animal? So this would be like the body, right? Um, and then you have growth media. So that's this liquid that you would put in with the with your cells in the bioreactor and that's their food, right? So cells are living organisms, they need something to grow. So this is what that growth media is. Um, you have obviously your cell lines. So this can be any type of, um, come from any type of animal. So we have customers that are working on things like fish. Um, we have uh, beef, pork, chicken, but you see all kinds of like fun things across um, across the cultivated meat industry. There's even a company that's, I mean, there are a couple companies that are working on milk and one that's working on um, human milk. So lots of very cool things happening in this space and really interesting value propositions yeah. related to, you know, these different like animal species that are, um, that people are cultivating. Um, and then lastly, you have these four technologies. So you have your bioreactor, your gross media, cell lines, you have scaffolds, and that's what we make. Um, so in nature, uh, all vertebrates need what's called an extracellular matrix. All vertebrate cells need an extracellular matrix to grow. So um, this is the thing that cells will attach to. And then once they attach to those, they'll start to grow. They'll start to get signaling from um, the scaffolds themselves into what type of tissue they should turn into. So is it going to turn into a fat cell? What type of muscle cell? What's the shape of that, right? How is the fiber alignment going to look in that muscle tissue? And that's the product that we make. Is that um, like a skeleton or like uh like a so it kind of looks like so you know it would I guess it would kind of mimic like it's bones, skin, um, muscle fibers, cartilage in your body. These cartilage, are all things that you know cells would uh you know cells would attach to or kind of like be contained by. Sure. Um but 
Um, so what this extracellular matrix does is, you know, it just provides something for cells to hang on to that they, so that they can grow um, and then differentiate into muscle tissue. Um, and this technology has actually been around for a really long time. You'll find papers back into the 60s showing, um, you know, talking about microcarriers and scaffolds and their use in tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. Uh, but this is really the first time since the cultivated meat industry that this technology has been used for food. So when Matrix was started, our current CTO, Jed Johnson, who's one of the co-founders, um, he is an expert in um, extracellular matrix, matrix, matrices um, for medical devices and um, specifically right. like in the tissue engineering and regenerative medicine space. Um, but, you know, when he started learning more about the cultivated meat industry, as an expert in this space, he was like, okay, we can certainly do this. We make these scaffolds and they're very complex because they have to connect to a host and then uh, stay inside someone's body, for example, for like organ regeneration. Sure. Um, but the thing that is not that's going to be difficult about for, for cultivated meat is the fact that, you know, you're using lots of different types of cell lines across different species. Um and also this product is going to be food. So one thing is a medical device and then another thing is food. So the products had to be made with completely um, edible ingredients. So no ingredients that were synthetic um, and they all had to be animal component free because that's really the core value proposition of the cultivated meat industry is make meat without animals, right? Um, and so a lot of microcarriers and scaffolds that were out there on the market, um, we're using things like glass, plastics, other types of polymers, but maybe they would have some kind of animal derived protein or um, like be made with gelatins, et cetera. Um, so those were the really, you know, two of the main challenges that Matrix had to face in terms of making sure that it was edible and making that there were no animal derived ingredients within the scaffolds and the microcarriers, but also making sure that we had a base product that worked well, but could be customized, not just for all these um, different types of cell lines, but for these food products that are going to be on the market. So um, even if you're looking at similar food products, let's say we have three customers that are using beef, right? One might be making a uh, whole cut steaks, one might be making some kind of like hot dog beef hot dog, and the other one might be making burgers, and they all might need a different product. So our product had to be customizable across these different like sure. cell lines sure. and cell types. Um, and then also fit that kind of final customer facing food product. So, um, this so matrix, go ahead. I'm sorry, again, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. So this product, the scaffolding you had to make, if, I, if I'm understanding you, mm -hmm. it basically, it couldn't be a synthetic product like a glass or something, because it has to be something that's technically edible because it's being used food. And you guys are actually, so you're taking some something that, again, I'm just repeating to make sure I understand. So you were taking a, a kind of a similar technology and repurposing it for a new problem basically creating food and, and you are guys are kind of pioneers in this space. You're actually exactly. repurposing this technology in a, it, so you have to come up with a new material that's edible to grow these cells so they can also be edible. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Wow. Uh -huh. That's fascinating. Okay. Sorry. Please didn't mean to interrupt you. Just want to make sure nope. I didn't get lost there. That's amazing. No, no worries. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm glad you repeated it back to me because that means that I explained it well. Yeah, no, I, I just, what an interesting <laughs> problem to take, you know, one repurposing technology to solving that problem of, you know, how do you repurpose this technology to solve the problem of making using it to make food? So, okay. Mm -hmm. That'd be very interesting. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, so when, I mean, the, the problem was pretty clear. Um, so in 2019, um, matrix was founded as a joint, um, as a joint venture between 
um, Eco Startup Nursery here in Columbus and Nanofiber Solutions. So Nanofiber Solutions is also based out of Dublin. We share our lab space with them. Um, and they've uh, also founded many companies that use this um, electrospinning um, technology and other nanofiber technologies to, again, make medical devices, right? So things that have similar functions as our microcarriers and scaffolds. But this was the first product that was made um, for the food industry. So the company was founded in 2019, over 2020, um, early 2021, just building out the technology, doing the early R&D, and really focusing from the very beginning on taking out any animal components um, out of the process and then making sure that everything was edible. And that was actually a huge accomplishment. Um, yeah. It doesn't really seem that important, but you know, because of uh, the technology that we use to make these scaffolds, which is electrospinning, it was a really big deal to be able to um, use this technology, which is a very scalable technology to, yeah, um, to use plant too. proteins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plant proteins and other edible, um, and, you know, other edible materials to, to make these scaffolds and microcarriers work for cultivated meat. Um, and, you know, and regarding the scalability piece, you know, that was also a really big R&D challenge because when you think about medical devices that are electrospun, although this is, you know, very highly scalable uh, industry, we're talking about things that are quite small. So maybe like, I don't know, the size of a Band-Aid um, that could cost thousands of dollars related to a product that was going to be in food that may be up to like 30% of a 30% of a final food product um, and needed to be, and they need to be sold for dollars, right? Yeah. So per, per pound, not thousands of dollars. Um, so that was uh, another big challenge as well as figuring out edibility, no animals, well, and then also- yep, The other issue, I, and I'm curious again, part of my, uh, again, I hope this isn't a silly question, but the other issue I've learned just being in food the last few years is something coming from automotive and things like this is if it's edible, it does it have a shelf life. Like if you're making something made of glass, you can reuse it over and over again. You can, you can store it, you can keep an inventory, but with this type of, it's an edible material plant-based, is there a shelf life? So you have to create it, scale it up and use it in a certain amount of time. Is that another scalability issue or is that something you had to solve for? It is, um, you know, we have a lot of ongoing tests in terms of like shelf life and use of the products in time. Um, because the way we store it, so they're they're stored, they're very sterile. So they're oh, okay, because they're it. cell culture food ingredients. So they're stored in a storage solution. Um, and then within our own lab, we keep them cold. So we, I mean, they usually have a pretty long shelf life. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that is on our uh, R&D list that I'm sure that we'll continue to look into, especially as we're scaling up um, and shipping this out, not by, you know, the gram, but by the hundreds of kilos. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so lots of lots of fun challenges yeah. still, um, but we're definitely on our way. And um, you know, uh, and you did to, all this in 2019 and 2020. So uh, you did this right as COVID hit. So that probably, I'm sure, that was not uh, the greatest time, and yeah. that presented some challenges too, because this isn't stuff you can do through Zoom calls. I mean, you've got to have people exactly. in labs testing this. Was did you have? I know we're all a little tired of talking about COVID, but how were you able to face those challenges as a, as a new company and, and getting started with a new technology? Was there anything there you faced? So, you know, I think during that time, it was just probably the same challenges that most companies faced. Small staff, limited resources, um, obviously lots of issues in terms of 
getting machinery and really long lead times and all these kind of simple things that we would take for granted until COVID happened, until right? Happened, yes. Like I can't get a bioreactor and they're telling me it's a lead time of like 36 months. And that's like, what? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all these really simple things that you kind of take for granted before all of a sudden you can't get your hands on them to do this kind of R&D. Sure. So, you know, I definitely do think that um, Matrix was affected by by COVID in that perspective and probably just like keeping the team small and, um, you know, probably not doing as much hardcore R&D as we've been able to do over 2022 and 2023. Really ramp, been able to ramp it up, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, it really until 2021, it was a team of like three, four people. I think one person was even like part time until um, late 2021, which is when um, a few more people on our R&D staff were hired. And then I came on at the end of 2021. And at one point, the team was 14 people. Um, and now we're actually at nine. So okay. we have like really great uh, core R&D team that's really focused on now, you know, we have our product, and then making sure we're getting that product to market. Got it. Got it. So you said your team was has kind of grown and gone down. So actually, that kind of brings me to something I like to talk about, um, just because it's a personal interest to me. And like I've, I'm relatively new to the food industry to some people. It sounds like you are as well in a little bit. I mean, you weren't, you aren't 20 years in the food industry. And I've often been told that the food industry is a little slower uh, to adopt technology compared to some other industries. So you are actually in a very unique space that you are uh, at a cutting edge of using a new technology in food. Um, kind of brings me to team and culture. And as CEO, um, with a new technology, obviously company culture is important, you know, getting, keeping an innovative mindset is important. How important is that to you at uh, Matrix Food Technologies? How do you kind of, um, from a leadership point of view, if this is okay, do, do you encourage like an innovative culture within your team and, and keep things fresh that way, if that makes any sense? Absolutely, 100%. And I would say that um, for us, that is so key, especially because we're in an industry that is we're still pre-market, pre-regulatory. And so the, you know, keeping the team innovated and motivated is really important because, you know, just for example, in 2022, we were so ready to like get all this product to market. And the team was really big because we had a lot of people working on like specific R&D projects, not like core staff. Um, but, you know, we're working, um, growing team. And so I think the expectation is like from here, this is up right? We're going to be 14 and 16 and then 20 and then 40. Um, and we were, the FDA was saying it could be on the market by the end of the year. And I'm, you're reading all these news articles about it. So we were like, yes, it's here. This is happening. And then in July of 2022, the FDA published a statement that said um, something to the effect of this is now a long-term priority, cultivated meat, the whole cultivated meat industry. So that for us was like, what do you mean? We're a yeah. B2B company in the cultivated meat industry and we need this yeah. thing to take off now, yeah. right? Like right now. Um, and I think that was really like a huge kick in the gut. Like, okay, what are we doing? Like, does this even make sense? What's gonna happen with this company? Um, and so, you know, it was really at that point that we said, all right, we have an external consultant that we work with at Matrix who really helps us on like team training, um, individual leadership and responsive personal responsibility and professional growth, as well as kind of like figuring out your way of working and then integrating that into a larger team. Um, so we definitely do a lot of uh, work both personally and then as a group, as matrix, as a team. Um, and I will say that you can certainly see the results from that. 
Um, they, I mean, their productivity, they're very intelligent, they're really innovative, um, and they give it their best all the time. And I think that has a lot to do with kind of building out that culture of, hey, it's okay to, you know, you're, this is you. Um, and the whole you is, you know, I think it was Henry Ford who said something like, um, you know, why do I get the whole person when all I want is a pair of hands or something like that, right? Like, I just need you to do the job, but that's just not the case. And it's not right a case more. when you're in a startup. Um, and it's not the case when you're doing something that requires a lot of collaboration and a lot of ideas, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think another really important thing that um, happened at Matrix was, you know, last year, we were having some trouble kind of like working on some of our products and getting through some of these roadblocks that we were seeing. Um, and I said to the staff in this meeting, I was like, Guys, what we need to do is that, you know, this is made for cultivated meat. But if someone comes to us and says, I want a birthday cake flavored scaffold, I want you to make it. And I know that you guys are capable of figuring it out. And they were so mad at me at the time for saying that. They're like, you don't understand the science. You don't understand how much work we put yeah. into this. Um, but, you know, I also put in the work to make sure that they have the tools and resources that they need so that yeah. they can be innovative and be creative. And so now that's kind of like the running joke at Matrix is when we have this really hard task. It's like, oh, it's the birthday cake. The birthday cake becomes, no. a, <laughs> has become the symbol of the the impossible task that we, we got to go. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. But I think, you know, another fun piece of that is um, also uh, Heidi Koya, who runs our research and development team. She's our director of product development and innovation. Um, and it's a really great title for her because she is really innovative. Um, and she also makes it fun and funny. And I think also, you know, bringing enjoyment and even just joy into your job and is really important rather than just having like a task list and a slave driver. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, kind of all of those things combined, she's a really, she's an incredible leader and she's been doing a really great job with, um, you know, getting these products to the market and working across sales, but also just kind of setting this tone for, hey, we can be innovative. Um, and also, I think there's another important piece to that is, and especially in the startup phase and in an early industry where, of course, you're going to make mistakes, yeah. is just kind of the forgiveness piece. Like, it doesn't matter if you make mistakes, right? Like, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're a worse employee at all. Like, it's, um, you know, I think that's both a personal and kind of a professional uh, way of handling things rather than this, this kind of like feel fast and go hard idea, which yeah. doesn't work in all scenarios. So I think we doesn't have set up like yeah, a really agree. good culture. Yeah, I agree. In my career, uh, I'm not not as quite as varied as yours, but I feel the same way. Like I always, you kind of said at the beginning, you know, admitting your ignorance is important. I feel the exact same way. Like it's the same with failure. Like I respect people who tell me they don't know because that means we can get them on board a lot faster, you know, than somebody who pretends they know or you know, so I agree. I think that's sort of the key to innovation too, is admitting what you don't know, you know, and telling what you know as a team and then figuring it out and faster. And then that's as important as failing faster. So that's awesome. You guys are doing that. That sounds, I'm going to remember that birthday cake thing too. I might, I might actually <laughs> use that. I like that quite a bit. So um, that's awesome. It sounds like you guys got an awesome team and this is really interesting technology. I've heard a lot about this, but now I feel like I have a much better understanding of what you guys do. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more just because I think our audience might be interested in alternative proteins. It, it is important to understand this isn't a vegan option. This isn't an impossible meat. Um, what is the importance, do you think, for the of, of an alternative protein in and of itself as a, as a market option going forward? Why, why is it important to have this type of, of an option for the market and in going into the future? Um, so I, I, there, this is a very 
I think we need like hours. What are yeah, you doing I, until five today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for the, sorry for the big um, questions. So, you know, I think that the, the number one purpose of the cultivated meat industry is definitely um, I, reversing the negative impacts of animal agriculture. Um, and within that, I think probably a thing that a lot of people that are in this space are motivated by is, um, you know, animal rights as well within animal agriculture. Um, as consumers, I think we get, when we're looking at products that come from animals, we kind of get this picture of like, which is very much sold to us, right? Of like the small farm and the happy cow that like loves being milked every day. And we've never seen a factory farm. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what happens to those animals, right? Just or don't, because it's really depressing, um, look it up on YouTube, right? Like what happens at factory farms? And not only is, I mean, there's this animal rights and animal welfare side, but I think there's a, a really important part, which is looking at a social welfare related to animal agriculture. Um, and then of course the environmental piece. In terms of emissions, um, and, and in terms of, I can look up some exact numbers here, but I mean, the emissions that come from just cattle production are huge. I mean, a very large percent of deforestation happens just for beef production, right? Mm. So it's a very inefficient way to get protein and water culture. Um, and in the next like 20 years, we're going to need double the amount of animal protein that we actually produce today. That's not necessarily related to population growth, but that's also related to economic growth and the fact that, you know, a lot of um, developing countries or a lot of people that are lower class in developing countries, they have a greater capacity, now economic capacity to purchase meat, which is kind of like one of these diet upgrades, yes. right? So there's a much greater and growing demand um, for animal protein. And we just can't produce enough the way that we're doing it because animal agriculture is very inefficient. Um, and just to kind of give you an example. So to produce one calorie of beef, you need 40 calories of input into that animal for them to produce one. Um, for chicken, which is one of like the most efficient, it's like one to nine. So literally that's like me making you like, um, you know, nine pieces of grilled chicken and then throwing out eight of them just so you can have one, right? Same thing gotcha. for like, I make you, I make 39 burgers and I throw out 38 so that you can eat one. Animal agriculture is really inefficient and meat for animal agriculture is really inefficient. And so, you know, kind of understanding all of that and also the emission side, um, it's, uh, and kind of looking at climate change and uh, tackling some of the other related environmental issues. Um, cultivated meat is a really important uh, way, I guess, and a, a very viable way for us to significantly reduce um, kind of these unsustainable practices in, in the food system and really transform the food system to make it more sustainable. Um, and cultivated meat, I think, also has a couple other really important um, uh, benefits and one related to food security. So if you think about like where food security is, it's the biggest issue in the entire world. Um, I don't know. It's probably because they don't have access to like good quality food. And part of that would be animal protein. Um, a lot of places you can't have cattle, you can't have whatever it is that, you know, people are eating there. You can't have large scale animal agriculture. Um, and so therefore people probably don't have access to it. 
Um, with cultivated meat, you can really decentralize the way this looks and you can set up a cultivated meat plant and, you know, bioreactors and whatnot anywhere you sure. want, right? So in the middle of the Sahara, people could be eating like fresh meat or have like fresh chicken that geo, didn't come from an animal, but just from... Yeah. Even in Japan, when I right. lived there, I mean, you, um, had to, you had to import a lot of beef just because they don't have the grazing land to raise the beef at scale. So I, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Where, where would you say, so it is a relatively new technology. What is the, uh, and maybe this is an impossible question to answer. Uh, what is the time frame for this to become a viable alternative? Like, where are we at uh, to, to scale this up on that, to that point where it can become an alternative? Uh, do you think, what's that look like? Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing right now is um, really impressive in terms of timing. I mean, if you look at other technologies that have come onto the market, it's a curve of 50 plus years between finding this technology and then financing it and then scaling up and then kind of getting it right on the market and then financing it again, right? Yeah. Um, and cultivated meat has done that in less than 10 years. So the first public tasting of cultivated meat um, was in 2013. And in less than 10 years, it's already an industry that's ready to go to market. Um, and when I say ready to go to market, cultivated meat companies are doing it, right? They they have their they have technology, they have a product. Um, two companies so far in the United States have gotten their kind of first regulatory approval. They obviously have to go through several more processes with the FDA and the USDA. Um, but that's a huge milestone, you know. And the, the FDA is saying, we know what this is. This product is a food safe product um, because it's still kind of new. Like every company obviously has to get that, uh, get their certification, sure. their green light from the FDA. Um, but, you know, it's definitely here. You see companies spending hundreds of millions of dollars to build like scale up facilities. Um, I think probably, you know, there are two being built by one company in Australia. There's another big one by an Israeli company that's being built in North Carolina. Um, in California, there are several. So, I mean, you're definitely seeing the infrastructure being built that is there. preparing to provide cultivated meat Um in the near future, right? And I would say as soon as possible. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's always this kind of like the first, right? The first person who kind of broke the mold or like the first one to get um, market approval or to get their product on a shelf or in a restaurant. Yeah. Those things are all really critical. And I think there's been a lot of inertia that's maybe not necessarily related to the technology, um, but more related to markets um and uh supply chains and and you know to just kind of like lack of funding that we need yeah. to be able to scale this industry more sure and and i think food food also uh, changing food behaviors is, is also has its own challenges in a market so you know but that's awesome well that i did i did not realize that we'd come so far in 10 years but that makes makes a lot of sense and things do change very fast so that's good news so that's good news to hear that we we think you think we can scale it up and that investment's happening um, I do want to focus a little bit on Ohio because we're kind of an Ohio thing. Um, you've been in a lot of places, so you, you've got some good ways to compare. Tell me about, uh, if you can, tell me what you think are some things you enjoy about being a food technology company in Ohio specifically, if you can. Um, if there's something you enjoy, even if it's about Columbus specifically or the state, if there's anything you've noticed since you've been here that that's great about being in Ohio. Um, well, first of all, I'm really happy to be in Ohio because it's really cool to be near my family. My sister lives right down the road. So it's Very great to be great. able to spend time with her. Um, that's on the personal side. Um, you know, I think 
Ohio is so underrated. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to investors and, and people that live on the coast or internationally. And then you say, yeah, we're from Ohio. And they'll make some obnoxious statement like, oh, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, um, I know. But there's so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've also lived abroad. Yeah, too, so, yeah I know. know. Uh, <laughs> they have no idea. Um, no, they have no idea. I love Columbus. Um, and there is so much innovation here. Um, and the other thing is that I found since we've been here is it is really easy to do business here. And it's so easy to find solutions and connect with the right people. And that's one thing that I'm going to give uh, a plug here for SIFT, that SIFT has been amazing at helping us with is there's so many resources to help this small company, you know, there, it looks kind of like all the cards are stacked against us, right? Like small company, pre-market, pre-regulatory, our customers aren't quite, uh, you know, quite there yet. So, um, but at the same time, you know, we've said to SIFT, like, hey, we have this new product. We're looking for some support for manufacturing or we're looking for some support for R&D. And all of a sudden I'm on the, on the phone with like six different people and we're figuring it out. Um, there's amazing human capital here. And, and it's not just because of OSU. I think, you know, Ohio has really impressive life sciences industries overall. Um, and so that's been really helpful for us because we're kind of a cross between, you know, looking at life sciences as well as um, as food technology. Sure. Um, so we can borrow from both industries and we do. And so we have access to kind of both sides of it, right? So you have very high tech industries here as well as you have food industry. Um, and that's really helpful. I think we also have a lot of actors that are really interested in this space um, in continuing to drive this innovation and like really pushing forward um, the alternative protein industry as a whole as an economic uh, driver in the state. Um, and I've had such cool conversations with people, you know, where you would expect like, oh, you know, I think people have this perspective of Ohio and you're all farmers and you're probably going to yeah. hate this. And that's not the case at all. People no. are really pumped on cultivated meat and alternative proteins and the potential of this. Um, and so we've gotten so much support being here. And I love talking about this in Ohio. Makes and I love leading this company here because if you would go, for example, to like San Francisco, they're like, oh, what do you do? Cultivated meat, boring, next. Like, yeah. um, so, I mean, I love the fact that it's definitely moving and, and people are really excited about it here. And we also have all the resources for probably a fraction of a cost. Yes. Um, as if, if we were doing thing. this. Yeah. You oh, can yeah. buy a house here. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do. I would say I agree with you so much as we talked off, off the air, like that, you know, uh -huh. having lived, I do think it's changing a little bit. Maybe I think people are starting to go, yeah, maybe, you know, as, as things get more and more expensive on the coasts and, and things, but yeah, I, it's so nice to hear that. Cause I'm also kind of a, a diaspora of Ohio and who came back mm -hmm. and, and I'm so glad. So that makes me really happy to hear. And thank you for the, the plug for SIFT. And I appreciate that. You didn't have to do that. Um, I've got one last question because I want to respect your time and we've really appreciated this. Um, one thing that we're hearing everywhere in every industry is workforce issues. Obviously, there's a shortage of workforce issues. You know, the way people are doing careers are changing. Universities are becoming more expensive and people are questioning, you know, what type of job should I go into? Um, and, and the food space is that way too. And, and one thing I've really tried to do here at SIF since I've joined is there's really amazing careers like yours in the food space that people don't even think about, you know, they, they, they so if you were a young, if you were going to give an advice to a younger person, maybe in high school or even junior high, um, and they were like, well, maybe I should do something in the food industry from a technology perspective, but I don't know anything about it. What kind of advice would you give them if they were thinking about a career, um, you know, in, 
in the food space in a technology sense, if that, you know, in a very broad sense, I'm not looking for anything very particular, but, you know, if you were given to a speaking to a room of young, younger people, do you have any advice you'd give them? Absolutely. Um, first, I think one word is STEM, like <laughs> math and sciences, like you should definitely um, try to build a really strong foundation in, in math and sciences. That's really important in the food space, right? Which I think maybe some people kind of don't think about food as science, but food is science. Um, and so that is definitely um, number one. I think also it's really important, you know, if you have this focus, just to kind of like focus on other diverse areas around food. So looking at like health, nutrition, maybe trying to learn some business to try to understand like consumer behavior. All these things are really critical to making that math and science piece actually get to market. Right. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, another really critical thing that I think was never an academic topic, but is now being integrated into business school and into other um areas of academia is just collaboration like learning how to work with someone who doesn't think like you talk like you doesn't use your same professional language um and not just as a person but in, in terms of your profession and what you know and how you do that i think that's really critical and i see a lot and especially in the cultivated meat industry is so many PhDs and just brilliant, incredible people that have done amazing things that have a really difficult time communicating it in clear words, the food yes. safety, right? Um, the, uh, the food safety of this, the potential um, for food system transformation of this. Um, what does it taste like? What does it look like? What's the process? Just kind of breaking it down so that it's really easier for consumers and the general public to understand. And all of our science and math and all of our crazy accomplishments in this space are not going to get anywhere until until we really learn how to A, communicate and B, also, you know, collaborate across different spaces. Um, so I think that those things are all really, um, those those are the things that I would probably recommend first. Thank you. Thank you. You literally, that is probably the best ending to a podcast I've had since I began. <laughs> I cannot agree with you more. Um Thank you so much, Taryn. I think we can, unless you got anything else you want to say, I, I really appreciate it. This was really fascinating. I hope maybe in a couple of years as uh, Matrix uh, grows, you can come back and join us and fill us in where you guys are at. I would absolutely love that. You have been listening to Food Stories, the podcast, a production of SIFT. We appreciate your support. If you have any food processing stories you would like to share, reach out to us at info at siftinnovation.org and be on the lookout for our next episode coming next month, telling some more of these fascinating and important stories. Until then, stay well and stay fed.